Here at Lady Farmer, we talk about so many different aspects of slow and sustainable living, a subject matter that can at times feel confusing, overwhelming, even misleading. And that's why a few years ago, we set out to write a book that might be a guide for those seeking a life of beauty, simplicity, and sustainability. We're thrilled to be able to offer you our own small guide for cultivating slow living, sustainable simplicity close to home available in our online marketplace. In the book, you've woven an easy-to-digest narrative of stories, recipes, tips, resources, ideas, and reflection. This collection of essays and resources will guide you to think about your own relationship to the planet, what you eat, what you wear, and how you live a sustainable lifestyle. It also contains a 21-day slow-living challenge of daily thought exercises to lead you in the process. For you Good Dirt listeners, we are offering free shipping of this wonderful little book with the code THEGOODDIRT in our online marketplace. So use the code THEGOODDIRT, T-H-E-G-O-O-D-D-I-R-T at checkout when you go to purchase your copy of The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living in our online marketplace for free shipping. That's The Good Dirt at The Lady Farmer online marketplace for free shipping on The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living. We hope you enjoy it. Thanks, everybody. So what I would say to people who are stuck is if you can give yourself moments in time where you do not have to be working on being better and you do not have to be pressuring or striving to learn more, be more, have more, all of more, 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 and you just stop with that mindset, then the self-care or the handwork or the activities or the being in nature can sink in. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Hello, Mom. Hello, Emma. Thank you for this delicious cup of tea. Yes, we were drinking tea last week, too. (laughs) That's right. So, as Emma explains... Last week, we're often in separate places, but today we are together again. Yeah. Yes. Very nice. So for those of you new to The Good Dirt, welcome. We're Emma and Mary, mother-daughter, as you heard in our intro. And we check in every week right before our episodes. We share a few announcements and things coming out from our end, Lady Farmer, in Lady Farmer land. And we'll introduce the interview here in a minute. We're so glad you're here, and we're so thankful to you for tuning into The Good Dirt. So first, Mom, do you have a share and tell for us today? I do. I do for all of you listeners out there that are interested in foraging for wild foods. I have really been enjoying the fresh dandelion greens that are out in my yard. And I'll 
simply go out and snip a few leaves and cut into my salad for a little bit of that deliciously bitter flavor and adding really high nutrients into my salad. And also the garlic mustard's coming up as well, which is another weed that people kind of freak out about when it shows up, but is also a very nutrient-dense plant that grows everywhere and has a really wonderful mustardy flavor because it is a relative of mustard. So just grabbing a few leaves of that and crunching it up into your lettuce, your other greens, adds a lot of flavor and a lot of nutrients. So that's just a way to really level up your fresh greens this spring. Yeah, and it's free. It's free. And, and it's so springy. So springy. And the dandelion is a real good detoxifier as well. It's supposed to be really cleansing for your liver. And So we have a little bit more about like easy, simple backyard foraging. Now, granted, you know, be really careful. Don't eat plants that you don't know what they are. <laughs> but we do have a little guide in our almanac in our community, our paid online community, the Almanac. We have a foraging guide. There's also a foraging guide in our guide to slow living. So there's lots of resources that Lady Farmer offers if you're interested in learning a little bit more about this. Yes. And as always, we'll warn you, please don't forage where there might have been sprays in recent years. Even I say the last three to five years, if there's any chance that that area has been sprayed, then do not forage there and don't forage where your pets might have gone or any other animals. And also just be aware of the possibility for allergies and reactions and so forth as you would with any new food. But other than that, it's really fun to embrace the things that are around you and free and in abundance for us to enjoy properly. And so healing too. Really so truly healing. Medicine. So my share and tell it's kind of related to that. My dog has had a lot of food allergies, and she has a, we've had a really hard time finding the right food for her. And I've sort of been hoping in this time, like, oh, maybe they'll, I'll find a cool pet food company that does everything right, and they'll sponsor the good dirt, and we can make it all <laughs> work. But the reality is that, like, with a lot of food deliveries, especially with this pet food delivery, all the ones that I've found have been just extremely packaging heavy. And I totally understand it because if you're packaging up individual meals, even if it's real good food, then, you know, it's mm -hmm. wrapped in plastic and it's individual packaging and then it's shipped to you. And I just haven't quite gotten over that yet. I don't know. Maybe there will be a company that comes along that figures it out. But in the meantime, we did just get a recipe from our vet that was like ground turkey, kale, shredded carrots, rice, quinoa. That's it. And we have a pressure cooker, like an instant pot. And so pretty much once a week, sometimes it goes a little faster than that. But we just make a big batch of this, like just pressure cook rice and the quinoa and the ground turkey and the kale all together, put it in a Tupperware. And not only are we saving a ton of money on pet food, because we did go through a lot of like expensive foods, you know, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> we did go through a lot of expensive foods. We're also just like the packaging is so minimal, especially because a lot of the veggies we're getting from our CSA. And yeah, I just want to share that. Like, if you feel like there's something that there's in your life that you're getting that feels like a necessity, but there's a ton of packaging, there might be a really simple alternative that's just a little bit more homemade. And it might feel really inconvenient at first. Like I was so resistant to like making Nellie's pet food for a long time. Like, that's impossible. That's so much work. But honestly, it's really not that bad. 
Right. And can I chime in here and say we've been doing the same thing recently? Yeah, literally. Same vet told us, gave us the same recipe. Yes. And our dog was getting to where she was turning things down, like whatever dog food we were trying. After a while, she would just say, nah, you know, turning her nose up at it for whatever reason, not sure what. And so we started doing this and have found the same thing, Emma. It's just, it's so refreshing not to have all the packaging. Also the expense. I will say the expense is probably a fraction of what we were paying. 100%. Oh, and this was my other share and tell. I think this is what I meant to share as my share and tell. And I, that was a tangent. (laughs) The one that I meant was the last thing we tried was this big bag of really expensive hydrolyzed protein kibble. Yeah, is really good, I think, for a lot of dogs who have bad allergies, but it still wasn't good for Nellie. And we probably fed a couple of meals from it and before we realized it wasn't going to work. So we had this mostly full bag of really expensive kibble and I didn't know what to do with it. I really didn't want to throw it away. I guess I could have composted it. I don't know. But I just took a picture of it, put it on next door and said, here's this expensive dog food. If anyone else uses this, it's at the end of my driveway. And it was picked up in 15 minutes. So that's kind of a little commercial for next door. And like if you live in a place where you have neighbors close by and you're not sure like what to do with things and things that are open and things that are used, it always surprises me that people's willingness to just like use up things and you know call in your community and I think that's a great way to give things a full life cycle so now tell me I don't know what is next door oh my goodness next door it's an app it's kind of like a Facebook but specifically for community like listing like your neighborhood like it's local yeah Wow, what a great thing thank you for telling me about that I didn't I know, know about that I know that your town has a really active Facebook page so that might be like just more people are probably on there like I I imagine if you went on the next door for your area it just might be a little less active Mm -hmm. it's definitely really active in like cities and little neighborhoods and cities we have a listserv in our community too like an email thread but I don't know just don't hesitate you know this we've had this conversation in the almanac too with like when you're trying products like transitioning from from conventional products to maybe more sustainable eco-friendly products they're expensive and maybe you get a bottle of something and maybe it's even a reusable bottle and it's not plastic, whatever, but you just don't want to use up the rest of it, even if it's opened or partially used. Like, that's a great place to to list those things because people are just, if, especially if it's free, people love free stuff. But anyways, those are our share and tells for today. Yes. We have a couple of shout outs. Liz Strait, someone in the lady farmer community, recently started buying meat from you. Wiffle Tree Farm, Virginia. Wiffletreefarm.com. That sounds awesome. Liz Strait, Lady Farmer. Check out Wiffle Tree Farms. Shout out. Yes. And also, this is from a Slow Living Challenge participant. To my son, Sawyer, who I am so excited to share more adventures with, trips to the farmer's market, and to continue to become more self-sufficient together as a family. Oh, I love that. That's so wonderful. Shout out to Sawyer. So, here's another one. Rachel Palma and Arden Jones are two awesome lady farmers. Yes. And I'm so grateful to have in my life. And I admire and respect so much the amazing sustainable work they do every day while raising kids. Oh my gosh. I can say to Arden Jones is one of my favorite people. I know her too. Yeah. Here's another one. I would love to shout out my sister Kelly, who introduced me not only to the show... That has also been my biggest inspiration in sustainability. I love you, my salmon sister. <laughs> Aw, are those the salmon sisters? We need to get them know. on the podcast. Yeah, we'll have to look into salmon this. Salmon sisters, if you're listening, please. If this is the salmon sisters, we think you are. We follow you. We love you guys. 
So come on our show. Yeah. We need to explain what the shout outs are. Yes. So sorry, we had mentioned this last week. The shout outs are coming from, we ran the Slow Living Challenge back in February and for Slow Living Challenge participants, we ran a survey and at the end of the survey, we asked you to give a shout out that we'd say on the podcast, but we didn't ask for your name. (laughs) So that's my bad. We don't know who these are coming from, but we hope that the shout out T's are hearing them. And I also wanted to say Arden Jones. She was on the podcast episode five, way back in the beginning. Yeah. So Rachel Palma and Arden Jones, Lady Farmers, you can meet Arden if you listen to episode five of the Good Dirt podcast. If you would like, honestly, I love these shout outs. You guys, if you want to write to podcast at lady-farmer.com or DM us on Instagram, a shout out yeah. to anyone. We'll keep shouting out. Yeah, it's fun. Identify yourself. Yeah, identify yourself. <laughs> Speak who you are. <laughs> Great. So a couple of fun announcements. This weekend is the Our Wild Farming Life Gathering, Sunday, May 15th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Lynn Cassells is coming back to meet with us live on Zoom. $10 admission for this book event. Free if you're an Almanac member or if you purchased a book from our site, from the Lady Farmer Marketplace. You will have gotten an email with a discount code to purchase your ticket if you did buy a book. We have your name. And if you want to know more about this event, you can go to ladyfarmer.com slash wild farming life. And if you're wondering what is wild farming life? Well, go to episode 77 and listen to our interview with Lynn Cassells of Limbrecht Croft in Scotland. And their farming adventure, their wild farming adventure. Yes, it's a really fun episode and they wrote this book and we are so excited to have them on Sunday for this special Q&A. Hope you'll join us. If you love lady farmers and adventure and cute animals and fun accents, yeah, then you want to be a part of our wild farming life. And remember, if you purchase the book from us, it includes a free admission to this event. And you can do that on the website too. So yeah, come on in, please. Yes. If you've heard us say this word, the almanac a bunch, and you don't know what that is, (laughs) that's okay. The almanac is the Lady Farmer membership community. We have a couple of different tiers you can join us at. And we just introduced a super low level, low lift tier, the Good Dirt membership. This is the very basic membership. It really goes to support the show. It allows you to connect with other Good Dirt listeners and to dive a little bit deeper into each of our episodes. We really appreciate the support there, and we really couldn't do this show without you guys, so we really appreciate the support there. If you are ready and excited about really diving in and committing to slowing down and more sustainable living and to having you know someone help guide you a little bit more hand-holding in that arena, we do have the Premium Almanac Membership, which currently is just a little bit more expensive than the Good Dirt Membership. We will be raising that price soon. If you're currently a member, your price won't go up at all. But we're going to be making that a little bit more hands-on, a little bit more exciting and kind of upping the ante there a little bit. So look out for updates there. And, oh, I'm so excited to introduce this week's guest. Mom, do you want to tell the listeners? Yes, this week we have Lisa Mitchell. Lisa and her husband Greg are fiber farmers and land stewards committed to making beautiful things and making a beautiful life. They raise animals for their fiber, they grow and create things, and they write and tell stories about the discoveries they make along the way. 
their life is handcrafted from the beginning with every fiber of their being. We heard about Lisa because she reached out to us and sent us this email. This is her words. I left my career in suburban life, bought a farm on an island with my husband, and now we raise exotic animals called guanacos for their exquisite and rare fiber. It's been quite an adventure. I want to listen to an interview with her. How about you? (laughs) I'm so glad we have this. And now Lisa has her own podcast called A Fiber Life. And that's also the title of her website, afiberlife.com. And in our conversation, she talks about being a woman and dropping out of her expected career path and finding a slower way of living. Does that sound familiar to anybody or sound like something you would like to hear more about? In doing so, she taught herself fiber arts, animal handling, and is immersing herself in the rhythms of nature. Lisa is a former art therapist, and she loves all the many metaphors to be gleaned from her experience as a lady farmer. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed recording it, and thank you for tuning into The Good Dirt. Here's Lisa. I'm Lisa Mitchell, and I live on Aliento Farm which is on Whidbey Island in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, lucky. Oh my gosh. I know. Gosh. It is so I've beautiful. I've heard so much about that place. Our nephew is there in the Navy. In the yeah. north in Oak Harbor. That's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we've been here for three years only. It seems like a lifetime, but we moved from Sacramento, California, which is the suburbia of suburbia. And we decided after looking around for places where we could find clean air and nature and just peace and calm that this was the place for us. And the sort of the unfolding of that was very magical because my husband and I had been pretty dedicated career parents. I mean, I was the soccer mom. I was the entrepreneur. I was very involved with a therapy community in my city. I was an art therapist. And I'd done that for 20 years and really felt like the first start of it, I was sort of walking my talk and teaching people to use their hands to heal and connect and to find a place in themselves that felt meaningful and, you know, was, is just full of goodness. And then when my business began to grow and I started to strive and I started to want more and grow bigger and be better and feel more successful and add all kinds of elements to my business, it started to get less about healing and more about being successful. Mm. And so we had the opportunity, we raised three kids, we were launching all three of them, they're all now adults, and we had the opportunity to change everything. And I decided that I was really wanting to do my life in a different way and sort of walk my talk to be able to not show others how to reconnect with themselves through handwork, but to actually do it myself and not to just write about it to inspire others to do it, but to do it myself. And the other reality was, is we needed clean air. My husband had pretty severe asthma because of the smog in Sacramento. And so we started looking for clean air and open space and we found Whidbey and we didn't really understand what we were getting into, but we bought a farm 
a legitimate farm with long stretches of fence and pasture and a real barn and three chicken coops and paddocks all fenced off and a goat house and I mean it's a real farm and then pretty soon we decided we needed animals so to the funniest story I sent my husband to uh, the Lambtown Festival in Dixon California to go figure out uh, what kind of sheep we were going to raise because I thought that was a great idea to raise some sheep for our own fleece and then I could you know knit I was a knitter and and he went and instead of finding sheep he found guanacos yes <laughs> which I didn't even know what they were I've just learned uh, learned about those yeah so we ended up buying them they are the undomesticated version of a llama basically mm -hmm. And uh, they were imported in the 60s to the United States from Patagonia, Peru, South America. And the importation was stopped because they became endangered or on the watch list in Patagonia area. People were hunting them for meat. And so there was no more importation after this lot that our herd came from were, were brought in. So there are very few in the United States. Of course, I didn't know what they were, but it sounded good. <laughs> they're called guanaco yeah okay so you want me to teach you a way to say the word yeah okay so my husband speaks spanish so here's what he teaches us to do is it's it's g-u-a-n-a-c-o okay but the g is soft so if you put your finger in your mouth and you sort of bite down on your finger okay <laughs> Guanaco. 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 It's more like a guanaco. Uh -huh. guanaco. guanaco. I yeah. see. Okay. I get it. I get it. Yeah. So a small world thing. Just the other day, we interviewed Aliza Aliazara and she is animal photographer. And she has this book out. You might have seen it. It's called On the Farm. And, all and she did people. the heritage breed stamps from last year. I don't know if yes. you saw that. Yes. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Of course. And she's the one who learned about guanacos. <laughs> I saw the, you know, she was talking about llamas and mm -hmm. alpacas, and mm -hmm. she explained how like the guanacos are the older yes. version yes. of the llama. And I was like, wow. And then, you know, and here you are, you, you raise them. And that's great. Oh, this is so exciting. So he came home. This is like sending a guy to the store and he comes home with God knows what, and you sent him for sheep and he came home with these. Yes. Okay. So what's next? <laughs> well, I mean, it was a series of just crazy, great, yes, things that happened. And then also some really hard stuff. So, I mean, the backstory is, is that I was still working, trying to wind down my business and struggling mm. with that, struggling with my identity. Like now I'm going to be a farmer. What is that? <laughs> a, a lady farmer. A lady farmer. It's very I special. It wasn't even a dream of mine. I just didn't, <laughs> I just knew somehow this was the right thing. And I didn't know how to spin fiber. I didn't know how to process fiber. I didn't know anything about fiber. So we bought these guanacos and I started learning about them. And it turns out that there isn't much information about how to raise a guanaco. There wow. is no information about what to do with their fiber because there are so few in the United States. So we bought these animals and there was no manual. There was no guidebook. There was no even somebody who could tell me what to do about having these animals, except for the woman who sold us the animals. And she 
was lovely. She had agreed to sort of teach us and mentor us for a little while before we moved the animals onto the island because we were still in Sacramento making this transition. And tragically, she died. Oh, wow. So about two months after we purchased them, we lost our mentor just suddenly. And I learned over Facebook that she had died and we had to figure out what to do with these animals that we were going to start this new life with. So, you know, through another series of moves with the animals and such, we found our way trial and error. And in the process did shear them for the first time. And I want to say now I have such an appreciation for their fiber. Then I just thought they were sort of unkept animals that needed to get that mangy fiber off. Well, it's not mangy at all. It's some mm-hmm. of the finest fiber in the world, actually. And not only were we learning how to handle them, they're wild. They are not nice, fuzzy, cute, tame animals. They're very grouchy and very spitty and kicky and all that kind of stuff. But I was also trying to figure out what to do with the fiber. So we got them to our farm and it's been a process of just settling into this lifestyle and transitioning from that effortful, pressured, striving, growing way of being to just being in rhythm with the animals and the nature around us and the farm and the handwork that is just part of our everyday lives now. Oh my goodness. So you're like the example of what we're talking about all the time. Like just, I know I'm so, <laughs> yeah. I so identify with both of you and how much you talk about slow living. Yeah. Well, I have a very similar story to yours. This is your podcast. I won't tell the whole thing, but I want to hear it. <laughs> well, we raised our three children in the suburbia of suburbias in North Fulton County in Atlanta. Uh-huh. And all during that time, it was a great place to raise kids, you know, great schools, all these wonderful activities, and they had a great time and all that. But I was always like, really, there was an inner conflict because I saw all around me, they're just like taking down, you know, forests and trees, especially out where we were in the, in the 90s boom, you know, that was a big suburban yeah, suburban takeover, man. And it just, things just came down right before your eyes. And I was like, wow. And I had this thing, this like undercurrent going on all the time. I would like something else. I would like to be out more. I would like to be surrounded by nature. I'd like to be able to walk out my door and walk for miles and not see a car and all these crazy things. Like where in the heck would that be? You know? So years later, long story short, here we are out here and we've been here 10 years now and we're out. Wonderful. outside of Washington, DC in a preserved area mm. surrounded by farms. But anyway, most of our listeners know at least parts of that story. So what you're saying to me, I mean, I get it. I just so get it. Like you just, for me, I don't think it was an aha moment. Did you have a moment where something really crystallized for you and you, and it like an inner shift or was it all just kind of a buildup? I think the aha moment, I can think of two of them. They didn't come until after we moved. I think, yeah. We, we did it unconsciously. We were led by something we didn't understand mm-hmm. in terms of the move at all. And that in and of itself was sort of a new thing because I was so used to pinpointing a goal and working mm-hmm. toward it and working so hard because the goal was the absolute thing to get to. And our decision to move wasn't that at all. It was sort of like... Um, 
oh, this looks good. Why don't we walk over here? And then where's the next breadcrumb? And then the guanacos arrive. And then yeah. it was sort of a gradual. But when we moved here, we were just talking about this the other day. My husband was really gung-ho to start breeding our animals. We had set it up so that we bought enough of the herd of this woman's that we could actually have a sustainable breeding program. And I was really reticent to start breeding. Like I didn't want a whole bunch of more guanacos because we couldn't handle the ones we had. They were wild. They were grouchy. I didn't know about large animals. Yeah. We'd both been injured in the process. I mean, it just was kind of difficult. And the reason why I was reticent is because I couldn't see a goal. I couldn't rationalize in my business entrepreneur mind that this was a smart thing to do. We were now going to produce fiber and we were mm -hmm. going to have this business where we were going to sell fiber. Mm -hmm. And I never wanted to be in that position again, where I was having to work so hard to sell something and grow something and, you know, that striving thing. So I yeah. was reticent. And he was just like, you know, if we had a couple more babies, it would be wonderful. You know, we have three kids and I didn't want any more, but he was like, Let, let's have some guanaco babies. <laughs> and the aha moment about that was just that idea of if I can shift to this is just the way that we make our life happen. It's a step by step. We have a few yeah. babies. We welcome the babies. We enjoy the breeding process. We just see what happens next mm -hmm. as opposed to deciding what the goal was. I could just completely relax and stop the whole control stuff about making sure that it was a viable business. Yeah. And the, the next aha, and I just think this goes with your guys in terms of what you talk about so much it just happened this new year's actually i was visiting a friend and she's lived in the pacific northwest for quite a while she actually is the one who raises our merino sheep for us because it's too wet for the merinos here and down in oregon she has them and we were talking about our farm lifestyle she has horses and everything and she said it's a lot of work being on this farm. And I said, I know, I think it's a full-time job. And apparently that didn't sit with her very well. You know, we went on with our visit and I came home and she texted me and she said, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot. What you said about farm life is a full-time job. And she said, I think it's a full-time lifestyle. Mm -hmm. It's not a job. And that aha for me just clicked because it's what you do every day. No matter what you're working on, you're still living this lifestyle. You don't clock in and clock out, right? but it's an attitude as opposed to an endeavor, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. An attitude. Mm -hmm. And it goes with what you were saying a few minutes ago about also not worried about the goal or how does this fit into like the business plan? What business mm -hmm. plan? I got to get a business plan. I gotta, mm -hmm. It's more like really just like living day to day. Yep. And this is what, this is where you've ended up for whatever reason. And there you have it. And you just let one thing lead to another. And it's really a very beautiful experience. If you can let yourself settle into it, it's all, it can be very stressful if you're in that part of your head. I totally agree. I used to have this mindset that, well, it's the genius mindset that I think about. It's like, you have to get really good at one thing and then you'll be really successful. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and there's statistics about how many hours you have to put in in order to be genius. Yeah. Right. Like 10,000 hours or whatever. It's, right. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So when we moved, I kept searching for that one thing that I was now going to bank my 10,000 hours yeah, towards. You're like, I'm going to be a genius 
Squanico. All <laughs> right. Summer. I'm going to do a master spinners program. I'm going to now do, <laughs> I'm going to be a rug felter from the genuine Iranian rug hearth rugs. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be a natural dyer like you wouldn't believe. I'm going to, you know, all of this. Mm-hmm. And the settling in for me, Mary, you know, is like, I don't have to be a genius at anything. I can just live mm-hmm. this lifestyle. Yeah. You can just be. I can just be and enjoy it and love the challenges. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At some point along the line, I had the revelation that there wasn't a grad degree for what we're trying to do here. <laughs> <laughs> There's no program to sign up for. You can take a ton of courses and you can go to grad school and everything, but nothing really encapsulates all of it except just doing it, seeing about your food and your clothing and your day-to-day life, living in the seasons. There's no grad program that teaches you how to slow living through the seasons, as we call it. Mm-hmm. That's an experience. And to me, that's kind of funny. It's it's just sort of funny to think about how my, like you, like you're a professional career person. I, I was more of a stay-at-home mom. I had various jobs. I was like a yoga teacher and a I had my writing projects. I've written a couple of novels and that kind of thing, trying to work all that into to family life and all that. But like my thinking's really changed since living here and being in this lifestyle really changed into more of a, it's, you know, it's not about what is your expertise, so to speak, you know, yes. or what is, what is your, what degree do you have in this? And also the ability to gain and gaining confidence to be able to talk about these things and not claim to be an authority or an expert or a PhD or whatever. It's not about that. It's just, I'm going to share with you what my experience is and my evolution into this lifestyle. And also is you know, trying to teach and communicate. And it's just certainly new territory for me. Yeah. And I think it's true. There's nobody that you can just go take a course about how to live a farm lifestyle, you know, mm-hmm. and use your hands. And as you're talking, Mary, I'm thinking about this idea that in order to learn anything, we have to have self-reflection time. We have to have downtime where we can reflect because it's one thing to just do, 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 do the chores, do the barn chores, do the spinning chores, do that, you know, treat it like a, a job. And it's another thing to integrate what's happening in what the experience sort of means to you or what the takeaway is about the particular chore that you're doing or the particular experience, you know? And I think that what that is, is that the experiences do teach us, but we have to stop doing long enough to let the teaching sort of sink in a bit. And then when when we have podcasts or we write essays or we talk about it, then we get to share with people and they can understand you know, that's the education part, you know? Yeah. And what you said a couple of times about doing things with your hands, Mm. don't you see kind of a shift and sort of a a collective yearning for that? I mean, there's been kind of resurgence in sort of a making culture where people are being called to actually sourdough bread craze, gardening craze. Pandemic has had some things to do with this, Mm -hmm. but even the rise in interest in natural fibers, fiber farming. I've recently heard it referred to as late stage capitalism. Like 
Uh, someone uh-huh. said, yeah, this is late stage capitalism. Like the kids these days, they're not buying shirts. They're taking old shirts, ripping them apart and making new ones and selling them. And it's like, it was a comedian, but it was kind of a, I thought that was an interesting observation of what's happening. Late stage capitalism. That's so interesting. When we identify that our resources are getting low mm-hmm. and there's a consciousness that starts to be raised about that, then you don't just go buy new stuff. Mm-hmm. You use the resources that are already at your doorstep, you know, mm-hmm. and so it could be a teacher shirt or it could be the fleece or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, as a therapist, I chose to be an art therapist because of the self-reflection, the interior, the ability to express what that what can't be expressed in words could be used in sort of in a therapeutic environment. And over and over again, I tell you, I think the one thing that was most helpful for all of my clients for all those 20 years was that I had them use their hands, Mm. that it didn't really matter what other things that I was asking them to do in some ways. Yes. But the basic thing that I was having them do is reconnect with their ability to make and express with their hands. And we all do that, whether we do it consciously or not, you know, you stir soup, you cut your food, you braid your hair, you I mean, there's so many basic things that we use our hands to do. But we're not connected with those actions. And when we do get connected, and we notice that we can make absolutely beautiful things, Mm -hmm. we I mean, literally, we fall in love with ourselves like, wow, it's so remarkable to be human and to be able to do those things, you know? Yeah, we get really, we're really proud of ourselves. Yes, yes. Which I think is something that's really hard to do without a physical, it takes a very enlightened person to fully love and appreciate your own self, right? <laughs> but if you make a delicious meal, you can be yes. like, oh, heck yeah, I made a yummy meal. And you can feel really proud of yourself in a really accessible way. Yes, because it, it's a reflection of who you are, right? Yeah. The meal <laughs> is a reflection and you can see yeah. yourself now as opposed to just sort of imagine yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in recent generations, when we've had our basic daily needs taken literally out of our hands exactly. and handed to various industries to where we both literally and metaphorically lost touch Yes, with the that. things that provide our daily needs, the things we need to eat and wear and the products we use around us. Like it wasn't very long ago, a couple of generations that all those things would have been made or made by a neighbor or made locally. And, you know, we talk about this so much, but that literally went away. Everything you needed, wore and ate every day was made far away and made as cheaply as possible so that we could buy it because now we were exchanging our hours of labor to go off somewhere to make money so we could buy these things. So we created this amazing architecture of disconnect in our society. I love that word. It's disconnect. And I also want to say it's sanitized. Mm -hmm. So you talk about good dirt. Mm -hmm. There's no good dirt in the electronics that, or the dishware that is doesn't really have clay in it or mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. there's no good dirt in a lot of the things that you're talking about Mary that have been fibers, produced synthetic mm-hmm. fibers yeah. yeah and so that is a disconnect as well you don't know where it's come from and you can't feel it it doesn't really have a life to it you know so true so now you are working with raising the animals and you're harvesting the fibers are what point are you in your fiber 
journey? Well, you know, it's so funny because, you know, I was very hesitant about the breeding and expanding our herd and what we were going to do. We wanted the animals to at least pay for their feed. That was our agenda, you know, it's, mm -hmm. and three years into it, in this sort of really gentle way of putting the business out there and asking people if they're interested in fiber, I've found that people are just enthralled with how special mm -hmm. it is. And not everybody knows what guanaco fiber is, but people who do are on our waiting list now. And it just makes me feel so gratified to know that we're producing something that's super, super special and cherished and treasured. And I don't have to go and try to tell people like be a bell ringer about it. I can just say, I love it too. Do you want some? And they say, oh yes, please. You know, <laughs> it's very magical. And the other part that happened is that because I didn't know about the fiber very much. I was a, I'd never spun and I, I was a new spinner at the time. I fell in love with the animals themselves. So I began to not look at them as things that I harvest the fleece from, but actual beings that were sort of our friends and our family and each one has a personality. So what I've come, I mean, my husband and I say, we've come to think of ourselves as really stewards of these rare animals because you can't find them much of anywhere in the United States. And so that's really special. And I, I adore them. I adore them. Even though they're grouchy and they're spitty and they're kicky and they're difficult, I adore them. I'm sitting here going, I want a guanaco. No, you don't. <laughs> oh, you gosh, really, really no. don't. <laughs> I know. No, it's funny. Um, we have sheep and we have ponies and chickens and, and that sort of thing. And they're also sort of, they're more or less rescue animals. It's lovely. Have you connected with Fibershed at all in your area or your region? You know, I don't know that it's here. Okay. I know that it was a big deal in Santa Rosa and mm -hmm. I was involved with a couple of people there, but have not connected to anybody locally or even remotely locally they add affiliates all yeah. the time if anyone's interested in heading it up we just started one a couple of years ago here oh. in the chesapeake mm -hmm. region and yeah and it's it's a cooperative group we have a little steering committee and we have a challenge coming at well it's going on this year and a lot of the fiber shed affiliates have done something similar is that you create a garment or a home good of some sort that's everything is local within your fiber mm -hmm. shed, you know, mm -hmm. materials mm -hmm. and the everything. So it's really fun and it's just kind of getting off the ground, but just the challenge itself, like I'm looking around me and seeing all sorts of things I can do at, to take part in that challenge and, and, and mending and upscaling clothes. And mm -hmm. I don't really sew, but I have friends and my daughter can sew That's great. and say, here, would you do this for me? And then, you know, so fiber shed might be something that's in your future. Are you Very ready? Cool. <laughs> Not <laughs> yet. We, there, we don't do the pressure. Remember, we just do the slow right. on ramp. <laughs> exactly. So you learned to spin, you said. So that was that the first part of it? You harvested the, you, you sheared yeah. them. Do they, are they sheared once a year? So ideally they're sheared every 18 months. Okay. The, it's a very short fiber and they have a double coat. So there's guard hairs and then there's a downy undercoat. And depending on your climate, ideally it's every 18 months. We shear now every year because they shed their fiber. And if you don't 
long story, but if you don't catch it at the right time, the fiber is not good for spinning anymore because it breaks mm -hmm. off. But yeah, so we sheared them and that's a whole other story because remember they're grouchy and difficult animals. It's yeah. not just like an alpaca. Feel free to share the story because we like stories. <laughs> so I was a knitter and I really didn't know the difference between a Merino and a Romney sheep, which now I, I do, but I didn't even know that there was a difference between wool fleeces, but I quickly learned the difference between a guanaco fleece and an alpaca fleece. And that's that the undercoat is very, very, very soft and fine. And in order to get that undercoat that you actually spin, you have to sit there and pull out the guard hairs that are probably, I don't know, six or seven inches long by hand. And then you get this very nice, fuzzy, short, one inch-ish long fiber. That's what you're going to use to spin with. So talk about Zen and slowing down to pull <laughs> those guard hairs out one at wow. a time. It's very, lots of podcasts, lots of audiobooks phone conversations, mm -hmm. very relaxing to get those guard hairs out. And then I had to learn how to spin and I had never spun anything before. I got an old traditional Ashford spinning wheel, which is sort of what everybody is told to get when they're first starting out. And I didn't have anybody to tell me what kind of a weird thing I was trying to do, which was to spin 100% guanaco fiber. First of all, I've never met anybody except myself that started spinning with 100% guanaco fiber. Not many people have spun guanaco fiber, so whatever. So I watched there's YouTube. There's no graduate degree. There's no this. graduate degree. There's no instruction. There's no so nothing. you went to YouTube University. Love I it. went to YouTube University and, <laughs> and Craftsy had a couple videos on how to spin yeah. basic spinning lessons. And I practiced and I spun and I spun and I spun. And I mean, I get chills when I think about this. So I had at the end of months of this dehairing and spinning, I had this sort of magical, fluffy, very light lace weight skein of guanaco fiber. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know if it was good or what, or I had just figured out how to make the wheel go and how to make a piece of yarn. You know, it looked fine to me. And so I had begun to be involved with the spinning guild here on Whidbey Island. And they're just a wonderful group of women. I love them. And they're all sort of so nurturing and so positive. So we had all decided to take a field trip down to Black Sheep Gathering, which is a annual festival that happens in Oregon. And it's a fiber festival where the people have their animals there, people have their yarn booths there, people bring their skeins and handwork for sort of competition judging. And that it's kind of like a specialized state fair. And the women of the Spinners Guild said, you should just submit your skein and just get some feedback from the judges. And I, I was like, well, I don't, it's my first one. I don't know. I'm embarrassed. I'm shy. So Anne Barry, she's so lovely. She's like, I'm taking you to the booth where you're going to submit your skein. And she helped me fill out the paperwork and she's just lovingly holding my shoulders and I fill it out. Well, the end of the festival. So there's a couple of different categories that you go through that skein ended up being the top winner it's called a diamond skein award what i know and the women they were they were they were all crying we were in the judge was saying this is exquisite i've never seen guanaco like this before you've done such an amazing job and i had dyed it with matter root so it was this deep 
beautiful sort of rusty burgundy. I loved it. So my takeaway was, is like, oh, okay, I'm in the right place. I'm doing the right thing. I have made the right decision here in terms of how to change what I'm doing for my life. And this is just a celebration and a, yeah, a big old yes, you know, about that. So, wow, I still treasure that I got a big old plaque and a big old ribbon and it was kind of gaudy and sort of embarrassing and all that kind of stuff, but I was just so happy. And the women were just, it was like a quilting bee where they, the next time I went back to the spinning group, the people who hadn't been at the festival oh, I heard you won. You won. I'm so proud of you. You're a celebrity now on Whitby. It was so sweet. That is so great. <laughs> you invented something. You, I mean, you, you like created something new, something they had never seen. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And you did that out of your beginner's mind. So true. Yeah. And fearlessness. I had nothing to mm-hmm, lose. Mm-hmm. Right. You didn't have anything to prove. Nope. Nope. And it was really the only fiber that I had to practice on. It wasn't like it was some special, valuable, rare fiber. It was just what I had. So have you made more? I have made more. I've made a beautiful hat for my husband. Guanaco mm-hmm. is so insulative. He has to reserve that hat for the teen degrees that you know, when the snow comes because it's so insulative. I've made neck cozies where you just a nice little neck cozy where you wrap it around your neck and it just Mm -hmm. feels so warming and soft. And then I've also started, remember how you don't have to get good at one thing. So I've started (laughs) blending it with merino fiber. And then we also have angora rabbits and pagora goats. And so I naturally dye all of those fibers and put them in one big, beautiful bat. And spinners have been absolutely loving to spin those really luxury, yummy, beautiful colored, naturally dyed bats of fiber. And that's an art in and of itself, blending all of those beautiful colors together. So that's been fun. So, And you sell these garments, these wraps and caps and things on on your website right for yes we have some garments there for the most part it's the well we don't we're out of stock on mostly everything but we are going to be getting some more fiber soon and will be available on the website and are you knitting and dyeing all these things yourself is it like a one woman show here yes oh my wow <laughs> yeah you're not going for okay i'm gonna get some assistance and we're gonna crank them out and uh... no you know i just i want to be able to i don't want it to be a factory feel you know like you said mary yeah. it's sort of like i don't want there to be a disconnect between the product and the actual making. And so Mm -hmm. if I only make 25 bats that are naturally dyed and, you know, whatever, and there are like, there have been three times that many people who want them, that's okay with me. And I'll work as I can to provide Mm -hmm. to, for people who want them. But if I turn it into a factory making process, it, it just defeats the whole purpose of why we're here. Yes. And the same with the knitting. The knitting is an act of love. You dye the fiber, you spin the fiber, you knit the fiber, and then you have this little tiny garment. And it's not about the price that people pay to buy that. It's just an act of I guess it's an act of love. Oh, absolutely. So this whole thing of like living in the present moment and making things out of love and living slow and close to nature, you know, so many people will go, well, I can't do that. 
because, mm-hmm. you know, dot, dot, dot. And how do we talk to people about making decisions that shift your life and you don't have to buy a farm and move way far away to do this. How do we talk to people about this? It's not, I try to start out by saying it's not about your surroundings or really what you're doing. It's more about how you feel in the moment, in all these moments that go to make up our lives. And so what would you say to people who are saying, well, that's all good for you, but I'm stuck here in the concrete jungle and I got to, I got to keep doing it. So I think that the majority of people that I know and have worked with and lived with in Sacramento are in fact in that boat that you say they're stuck and they want to get out or they want something different, but they can't. Mm -hmm. And what I want to say about that is that that is the reason we have a self-care industry that's so successful. And it's been the idea that you just do this self-care activity, you do this self-care activity, or you Mm -hmm. get a massage, or now you Mm -hmm. start another diet plan, or now you, you know, take walks every day, or you journal, or you have a gratitude list, or I could just go on and on. And the problem with that is that people don't feel better. They just feel like they're failures of the self-care plan. So they did a bad job of self-care and now they have to figure out how to do better with self-care in order to feel unstuck. Yeah. And I think the whole problem is this idea of, I have to do better. Mm -hmm. I have to be more. So what I would say to people who are stuck is if you can give yourself moments in time where you do not have to be working on being better and you do not have to be pressuring or striving to learn more, be more, have more, all of more, 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 and you just stop with that mindset, then the self-care or the handwork or the activities or the being in nature can sink in Mm -hmm. that the project of doing it well negates the experience. And I think if you're always trying to escape it really also negates where you are, right? So I'm stuck here. I can't, I need to get out. I need to change. I need something different. That also doesn't allow you to actually notice what's going on around you. And there might be something very special. And we always have our hands, no matter where we go, no matter where we live. And so I would say, just find a way to be with your hands. Oh. I love that. That's wonderful. So speaking of being with your hands, talk to me about how you came to the natural dying. I I, I love doing that too. As in the warmer months, not now, but yeah, I do a lot of that. So did you teach yourself to do that? And was that a result of having the fiber or is that something you already knew how to do? I had no knowledge of natural dyeing at all. Mm-hmm. And I went up to Vancouver, mm-hmm. British Columbia, and took a class at Maywa. And oh, Maywa, I know them. their studio is so beautiful and it's so well laid out and taught. So that was my entry. It was a little retreat. I wanted to be able to dye the fibers that we were growing here. And I wanted to do it naturally. I didn't want to go down the acid dye route. It just didn't seem to fit with, again, with our lifestyle and what I wanted to do. And so I went there and learned the basics of how to mordant and how to cook certain dyes and and all that kind of stuff. And then I came back and just experimented and I have little gas propane things all over our barn and turkey roasters all over our barn. And I just, and I grew several dye plants for the first time this summer 
and dried the marigold and cosmos and black eyed Susan. And I, it just, it feels like it's a, an adventure. It's, it's a surprise adventure where you just don't know where you, what you're going to get but it's always good. And it's always from something natural that you don't have to go buy or have a formula for or anything. I mean, you kind of have to have a formula if you want them to be light, fast and stick to the fibers. And then I did a fun thing where I started having inspiration from nature, taking pictures of a sunset off of uh, one of my favorite beaches here, or taking pictures of the big, big sky that we have in certain areas on the island. And then using that as inspiration to combine the natural colors on the fibers that I had made and put them all into a bat. And that was really fun to see. It was kind of like an art piece where the photograph was matching and sort of combining oh, wow. with the bat. It was very, it was fun. That was entertaining. Oh, beautiful. So do you have a big garden? You mentioned some dye plants. I'd love to know what you planted and do you grow your own food or how, and I realize you've only been there three years and I know that takes a while. I can say, how, how is that evolving? We expanded our garden actually. So we have a guanaco poop powered garden and boy, oh boy, is it powered by poo. And um, we have, poo power. it's, it's so good. And people come and they, we invite, we can't eat and all of the vegetables we grow. And so we invite lots of friends and neighbors to come and they can't believe how big our plants are and how big our produce is because of our guanaco poo. So we have, I don't even know, I couldn't, we have one large paddock that we took over and we grew all of our vegetables for the summer. We never went to the farmer's market or the grocery store. We still have a lot in the freezer and we have raspberries, blackberries, Marion berries. And I did grow marigolds, cosmos, black eyed Susans, what else? Chamomile for my dye plants. I'm going to do indigo next summer. Mm-hmm. And it's the best thing to go out in the garden and just pick your dinner Yes, and know that your animals that live right there, that watch those plants grow contributed to that. And so it's just a, you know, they say the closer you can have your fertilizer to your growing, the more sustainable your environment is. And there you go. It's, it's just a wonderful circle that we benefit from. So satisfying. So wonderful. That's what we call hyperlocal. Hyperlocal. Yeah. yeah. They're just looking. And, you know, we had the, we still have some kale and collards in the garden, but we pulled up a lot of the Swiss chard. And so we just fed the stalks right back to the animals, you know, here you go. Thanks for growing this. And they loved it. So, so great. What do you say are some of your biggest challenges and things that you need to overcome in this wonderful life change? But of course, yeah. it's not all roses. It's not all roses. Yeah. <laughs> it's not all kale. <laughs> it's, it's not all yummy, healthy kale. So I think the biggest challenge has been learning to handle these animals. Like I said, they are not domesticated. And the way I explain that is that, you know, sheep and alpaca and even and llamas, they've all been bred for their personalities so that they can be, and they've been bred for particular traits. Well, guanacos just, they're not specifically bred for anything other than to be a guanaco, which means that they still have very high prey instinct, which means that they startle very easily, which means that you can't touch them. You can't handle them without a lot of training. And so the challenge has been 
figuring out how to relate to these animals in a way that they can trust us well enough so that we can in fact halter them and vet them and shear them. And believe me, that's hours and hours and hours. And it's scary. Before we moved here, my husband and I were both practicing and we were trying to figure out how to lead them. And we both have shoulder injuries from that. And I'd say the other thing is, is a challenge is we've lost a couple of animals. And due to the fact that there was some genetics that were involved in one of our little boys that eventually led to having to put him down. And then another one who probably, we still don't know why he died, but probably because of a toxin that he ingested that we couldn't identify. And I didn't sign up for going through the loss of beloved animals. You know, I didn't understand that as a part of farm life. I just, it didn't even think of it. You know, I knew dogs, you get a lifetime and then you have to face their eventual death, but I didn't get that. I had to sort of embrace the loss as part of life. Yeah. And I still struggle with it. I worry about each of those animals, like they're my children, you know, and that's anxiety provoking and worrying and costly. And so some days, Emma, I think on bad days when an animal is sick or, you know, I have to have a call into the vet and we have to make a decision about how to proceed and all that kind of stuff. Some days I think, oh my God, I'm not cut out for this. I can't do it. It's too Mm -hmm. hard. And then I get past that and I go out and I can't believe how beautiful they are in the pasture. And I just am so delighted that I get to be with them. So what is your typical day like now that you're have your own structure and gives a little sense of that? Sure. You know, our day begins and ends with animal care at like every Mm -hmm. farm where we have barn chores and I've come to treat that as sort of a ritual that it's a really good structure that gets us going and it begins and ends our day so that we know that that has to happen. And then the rest of my day is taken up with whatever projects I have on hand. And what I love about that is I have a rule that I only have to do whatever chore or project I have going for as long as period of time as I want to do it. So if I start to dehair a guanaco fleece and it gets too tedious after an hour, I get to go onto another project. And so then I just go check, you know, the garden, or then I go work on pruning the Japanese maples, or then I spin some of the fiber that I've been working on. And it sounds flighty and like all over the place if when I list it like that, but it is so freeing and stuff gets done. It's not like nothing gets done. It's just, it's not pressured at all. So everything's waiting, everything's inviting. And if it's not inviting, I try to make it inviting, like pasture poop cleanup, that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that about what you were just describing about letting yourself let an activity go if it gets like where it's, because that's the way I work too. And for years and years, so much of my adult life, I judged myself about that. I thought I can't ever complete a task. I start one thing and then I leave it and I go to the next thing. And at some point it just hit me. That's the way I am. And 
<laughs> when I got old enough to realize that things eventually did get done and I called it the spiral because I, I felt mm. like, you know, some, some days I felt like I'm just spiraling around mm -hmm. to the different activities. And especially since living out here and, you know, there's, you know, there's things to be doing in the kitchen. There's things to be done in the garden. There's the dying projects or whatever. It sort of lends itself more to that, to sort of spiraling around to things. And it feels good. And now that can feel fun to me. Today, I traversed all this territory and yeah. I, so I'm not beating myself up about, you know, not getting this or that done. And so, you know, when you think about that, you know, start a task and complete it. That's a very linear way of thinking. Totally. Totally. It's a very capitalistic, patriarchal, good things done system. And women in general, or at least, you know, the feminine principle is like the opposite of that. So we can embrace our viralness. Our spiralness. I love it. <laughs> is that a word? Yeah, that is a total word. Yeah, I love that. So, and, and here you are an art therapist and you just affirmed that for me. But yeah, <laughs> I'm going to adopt that okay. word because I think it is. So I have friends who will say, I have to finish this and then I'm going to reward myself. Yeah. It's like, why are you doing it for the reward? That's such a waste of your life, you know, because mm -hmm. <laughs> we're told that you need to be protective and finish things. And, and it is satisfying to finish things, but let's do it in our own way. Let's do it Why in not? our own way and enjoy it in the process. Yeah. The moment it doesn't become enjoyable or at least mm -hmm. satisfying, then you shouldn't force yourself to do it. Yeah. It's just going to create discontent in the moment and the moments of peace and contentment. And that's what we think slow mm -hmm. living is making those choices. So mm -hmm. yeah. Emma, I'm curious about your take on your generation as mm -hmm. a different generation and, and your take on slow living and what we're talking about, the striving and the project working towards the finishing and stuff. What do you think about that? Well, I certainly, me personally, I relate so much to what both of you guys are saying I think it's at least for my age currently it's a lot more like anxious existential questions about how are we supposed to make our way in the world how are we supposed to make a living how are we supposed to purchase property there's so many real day-to-day -day. I think for people my age it's a little bit more like what is going on what are we supposed to be? You know, it, I think there's a lot more anxiety around it. But I do think that at that same time, because of that anxiety, and obviously something is not working, and there's a breakdown in the system, there's a lot of willingness to think differently about things, and kind of try new things. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, I think what you're saying, that idea of like, how are we going to buy property? How are we going to make a living? How yeah. are we going to be sustainable yeah. in your life as well as sort of in the world? And there's only basically only one model, mm -hmm. exactly, which is you strive really hard and you yeah. get an education and then you figure out a job and you bank a lot of money and then you buy and then, you know, you sort yeah. of, you, you work up the hill, right? Mm -hmm. or the mountain yeah. you climb the mountain yeah and I think that's still working for some people yeah. but I think for a lot of people it's really not and I think that there's a lot more willingness to be really creative and yeah just sort of question everything mm -hmm. as a parent of kids this age I don't know where you are on this but I feel like I've had to open up my own expectations about their world or because it's really different from when I was their age yeah very very different well yeah I mean my mom my mom worked and paid for their apartment and paid for my dad's grad school but who like yeah. that's just those all of those things are so impossible now. I know who works like... to put yourself through school yeah it's such a drop in the bucket 
it's so impossible. People now, people are so like anchored down by school, Ugh. and this, the degree doesn't even get you. It doesn't even guarantee mm-hmm. work. So yeah, this the whole thing needs reevaluating. And so yeah, maybe in that sense, I would say it's a sped up version of what you guys are talking about. Like mm. people are just so yeah. willing to drop something that's not working and look for mm, other solutions. Interesting. Yeah, I think they're asking their questions a lot younger, younger. Yeah. than I did. Like the crisis is external, like it's already happened as opposed to with me, like it was an internal crisis. Yeah. Like I can't, you know, it's like, I couldn't live like that anymore, but for a younger generation, it's like, it's impossible. Yeah. You know, it's not, it, I, we can't, it's yeah. not our own personal choice. And I would say for my mom too, it was like, maybe, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I feel like, I think that you felt like you couldn't say anything or do anything because it would be so weird and crazy and what people say. And Mm. the kids would be really thrown off if we like took them out of school and put them in the other school. I don't know. And now it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I had all the, I had all these ideas about how we could do it differently. And Mm -hmm. it was always just like, it's just too disruptive. And Mm -hmm. so it was years. I mean, Emma was a junior in high school when, when we finally, we finally made a big move and then subsequently we moved out here. But anyway, it's just interesting. A lot has happened in the last 30 years in terms of societal yeah structures yeah and it's interesting to see where it's gonna go well lisa what does the good dirt mean to you so yeah i love that phrase the good dirt and i mean the first concrete thing that it means to me is the example of our garden that the guanaco poo makes the best dirt and it's right there and it grows the best food so literally it's the fertilizer it's the good dirt that's fertilized by animals that are close by that you don't have to truck in chemicals or anything like that but sort of on a more I don't know psychological level I think what I would say is what I was talking about before where if the good dirt is when we use experiences in our lives to understand ourselves better and to understand lives better. And so it's sort of like dirt as gossip, you know, give me some good dirt on that person. Well, if we have good dirt on ourselves, if we take our experiences and reflect and understand how that has affected us and what that means for us and what that means for others and relationships and all that kind of stuff, then it's really good dirt. It's used. Our experiences are used and rather than just had, and then they've flown by and we're on to the next. So, yeah. I love this. It's like our history, our experiences creates a compost. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I love it. That we can grow out of. I love yeah. It. That's, <laughs> That's really good. good. Yeah. I mean, I never heard of it. Everybody says, has something a little different to say to that question. And I love that. That's, I've never heard it put that Mm. way yeah it's awesome thanks thank you well is there anything else that you want the listeners to understand about the work that you're doing there on the farm or in any aspect of your life (laughs) well I mean I think that what I'm most proud of right now is the fact that I am telling our stories on our podcast and that it's not just down on the farm stories. It's that good dirt stories. It's the reflection where I take what we've learned, like the hard stuff with animals and how we meet the challenges of of working with the animals. And I sort of reflect on it so that it applies to everybody, not just our farm. 
And that ability to sort of tell those stories in a way that inspires people who don't have farm lives or don't have difficult animals to deal with. I'm just really proud of it. And I think it's something that might help people who feel like they need to like get out of where they are or they're stuck in their concrete worlds. Yeah. Thank you so much. So how can people find you and follow you? And so our website is called a fiberlife.com mm-hmm. and the podcast is the same name of fiber life available wherever you have your listening, as well as on our website. And we're on Facebook under Aliento luxury fiber farm, because that's the name of our farm. That's right. Aliento. What does Aliento mean? Did you already say that? No, I didn't. Yeah, that's a name that my husband came up with. Aliento means breathe or breath in Spanish. Oh, wow. I and love that. Yeah. And he lived there so that he could breathe. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. This has been such a fun conversation, and I enjoyed it so much. It just has made my day. So thank you so much for reaching out to us and taking your time with us today. It was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lisa. We'll be in touch. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Good Dirt Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll share it with a friend to spread the good dirt. This show is produced by Lady Farmer, a slow living lifestyle community. And the original music is composed and performed by John Kingsley. For more from Lady Farmer, follow us on Instagram at WeAreLadyFarmer. That's WeAreLadyFarmer. Or join us online at www.ladyfarmer.com. We'll see you next time on The Good Dirt. Goodbye. Goodbye.